0: Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you, Jason. It's a a joy to be here, uh, standing in for my successor, Uh, Mark Ellis, who has moved on to Pastures New. Uh, So when I got the call, if I could stand in for him, I was delighted to do so. And I will be talking to one of the CUI staff uh, as part of what I say. Uh, Now that I've moved on to to Europe, uh, I think uh, you want to hear from somebody who's actually working day to day here as well. But just by way of introduction, uh, I don't know if any of you have watched the ITV crime serial The Long Call, telling the story of Detective Matthew Venn. I happened to be reading the book when I realized it was on TV. And let me warn you, that is a definite spoiler alert if you don't want to know what's happening at the end. Now, a major part of Venn's story is his walking away from the small conservative Christian fellowship he was raised in. And there's echoes here, if you were here this morning, of how Uh, Zach started his talk. It's a familiar story. This is how the author tells it. Van wondered how it had come to this. He replayed again the moment when faith had been replaced by a different kind of certainty, and his life had fractured. It had been his first year at university, and he'd come home for the Easter holidays. His, His parents had taken him to the meeting on his second night home, wanting to show him off, the bright boy who'd got into Bristol University, who was a credit to them all. But things had already started falling apart. His confidence was unravelling. Anxiety was taking hold. He sat near the back with his parents. And then he had a sudden understanding. As the early evening sunshine shone through the dusty glass, a vision close to a religious experience that this was all a sham. These earnest women in their mushroom-shaped hats, the bluff good-natured men, they were all deluding themselves. They were here for their own reasons, for the power or because they'd grown up with the group and couldn't let go, through cowardice or habit. And with this understanding came a type of liberation, a sense that he was now free to do what he wanted and to be who he wanted to be. Perhaps it had been youthful arrogance, or maybe he'd been suffering some stress-related minor breakdown, but he needed to speak out about his sudden new insight to spread the word. So Matthew raised his hands and got to his feet, and he said, none of this is true. I'm sorry, but I don't believe any of it. You must be mad if you think this is true. There had been silence, He still has an image of faces turned towards him in horror and disbelief. His mother gave a little gasp, and after that, he could remember little of the detail. As I shared this morning, I I remember going through a watershed moment similar to that in my first year at university, but with thankfully a different ending. As for me, it was when, by God's grace, I was able to understand how and why I believed and why it made sense. But Matthew's story, it's many Christian parents' fear, isn't it, that once released their kids will leave the faith, that going away to university will be spiritually fatal. When I was president of the Christian Union in Stirling, I remember getting a call from a distressed father begging me to get his spiritually uninterested daughter into the Christian Union. Now, of course, I couldn't. I felt for him. But students are young adults. They make up their own mind. And maybe as parents, sometimes we search for stopgap temporary solutions. Get them into Christian accommodation. Get them into the chaplaincy. But those are just stopgap solutions. If our young people, if our students don't own the faith for themselves, we are simply postponing the inevitable crisis. University is a place where many young people find out what they believe, why they believe, and why it is important. They'll find out whether or not faith is something they've inherited from their parents, or is it their own? It's about to be tested in one of the most demanding contexts imaginable, where every conceivable worldview, philosophy, value system, every alternative voice you can think of will be shouting for their attention to claim them as a convert for that worldview. Christian unions exist for at least two reasons. Firstly, for those students who do want to connect, we're there to help them navigate that process. Wherever in the United Kingdom or Ireland you may choose to study, it's almost certain that there will be a group of Christians that you can be part of. And the goal is not to help you survive university. That's far too small a goal, too defeatist, too escapist. The goal is to help you thrive at university as a disciple of Jesus. But Christian unions also exist for a much more important and a much more strategic reason. Our motto globally is Students Reaching Students, or to expand it, to see students built together in the community of disciples, transformed by the gospel, and impacting the university, the church, and society for the glory of Christ. We exist to reach the university for Jesus. Every student in every one of our churches, as I said this morning, is a strategic missionary. And note this, if you're a parent, this doesn't have to be a negative narrative. For every student from a Christian background who walks away, praise God, there are so many other stories of students who arrive at university with little thought of God but who find him there through the witness of Christian students in the Christian Union and elsewhere. Which brings me nicely to my guest for this evening, Chris, if you would come up. Chris is the uh, team leader for Northern Ireland, for Christian Unions Ireland. You can use that microphone there. And I'm just going to ask him a few questions. So uh, yes, uh, uh, tell us a little bit about Christian Unions Ireland. It's going to be a big week for them, not just being here at at worldwide uh, and at the back there. But what else is going on at the moment?
1: Yeah, so we are... Well, next week, uh, we have the Equip Conference happening. And actually, interestingly, it's with the legacy, really, of a lot of the uh, work that Peter and Neas have actually done and built over the last couple of years. But what we're going to see is students from across the island of Ireland coming together for a week to be fueled and fired for mission. And actually, we find this is a really exciting week because what you get is to go deeper with students in the Bible and to really convince them of its, uh, the confidence they can have in Scripture. And actually, what that leads to is this real grace bubbling up inside them, in this gospel of grace that is good news to them. And they, what we want them to do is to take that back to the university campuses and really for that to feed their mission throughout the rest of this year. And we don't really get many of these opportunities where we get to go so much deeper with students and to spend that time with them. And so for us, this is quite an exciting time. I'd also argue quite a stressful time, but I'll leave that there.
0: (laughs) And of course, this is the first time that you've been able to have a full programme of events uh, since restrictions were lifted. Mm. So how do you feel that the landscape has changed in terms of student ministry and university life?
1: Yeah, I think... um, we did our best to make the most, I think, of um, the last couple of years with online events and, and doing evangelistic events, whether Q&As or talks or things like that. Um, but there will have been a lot of changes to the university context. And I think one of the things we're most aware of, I suppose, going into this next year is, is the effect that COVID uh, will have had on our students. Not so much necessarily in terms of as the disease itself, but in terms of what they've been fed and the stories and narratives that they've been hearing whether it's through social media or media devices like Netflix or Amazon. And actually, one of the things we're seeing more and more, and I've, I've travelled around so many conferences across this summer, I, I mean, I didn't know there were so many. Um, and a lot of the narratives coming to me are that their kids are lonely, students are lonely, people going to university, they're worried about being lonely. And actually, one of the things we're trying to really wrestle with is this, what has been described as the loneliness epidemic. And young adults have gone from being the least the least likely to be lonely to suddenly the most likely and we're seeing that impacted in the you know the the mental health rates and the struggles that they're having there and so one of the things we're even thinking through at the minute is what does it look like for Christians on campuses Christians in halls to be good friends to be able to come alongside and to see genuine friendships formed and to actually be people that step out of their comfort zones of their halls and sitting in their own rooms and actually going out and engaging with the other people around them and so as staff and students we're even just thinking through friends Ourselves and what that means. And I think I've got a, one of the advantages of
0: my work is I get perspective of what's been happening in that regard across Europe. And a lot of our movements across Europe really struggled with the pandemic, lost staff, lost leaders, and are really struggling to rebuild. And I have to say that, and I say this quite unbiasedly, having seen it around the continent, that the guys in CUI in Ireland, I think, coped with the pandemics more creatively and better than many, many other, if not any of the other countries in Europe. So they're a credit, I think, to IFE's. And I just think that it'll, God will reap a harvest, possibly through many of these uh, Irish students and how they can contribute uh, to Europe you mentioned a little bit about uh, your staff and the investment that staff can give to the students what else does that look like
1: yeah so we we have staff um, and you know you again sorry to single them out again but like you know Ness is a staff worker in Dublin Peter's a staff worker in Cork and we've got a number of other staff here and so if you're free after do come and um, talk to them um, in the little what's it called the mission Uh, Global Village. Sorry. I need to check my language with Jason. Sorry, guys. Um, But actually, we have staff right across this island, and staff meet with students, and primarily with the leaders of the Christian unions, whether that's to do Bible studies, to pray with them, to offer advice, and to be there for them. But they also do a number of other things. They're they're there to be able to give talks, to be able to help plan training conferences that can help resource and train those leading the Christian unions, because CU's are student-led. And that's one of the things that we love about Christian unions, but they need to be supported as well. And we see staff being able to do a range of different activities and different things with our students. And what we also want to be be stronger stronger at. And something that we're really passionate about doing is being able to serve the church as well. And I know that even this last summer, the number of um, requests I've had from different churches in terms of what does it look like to try and send students well, to have a good young adults ministry. And that's something that even in this coming next few years, we're really passionate about serving and doing well.
0: So why are you so passionate about uh, student ministry? Uh, I mean, it oozes out of you. It's a joy for me to see it uh but tell us a little bit even a couple of sentences of your own story
1: yeah yeah good prompting there um yeah i am yeah i am quite passionate um so i I left northern ireland um and was pretty keen to distance myself from um the christian faith and i remember meeting a girl at freshers of freshers fair and she asked me if i wanted to come to church and i was like i think i'm all right and um She didn't take that very well. And I was like, look, I know. I was was raised in Northern Ireland. I know a lot about the Christian faith. You know, I I actually paraded for many years. And she was like, what does that even mean? And um, at one point into the conversation, she was like, I don't actually think you know Jesus. And um, I had the wonderful opportunity of going along to the church. And I ended up going on an alpha course and during that first year of university, putting my trust in Jesus. And do you know the great joy of that? You know, I, I hadn't actually planned to say Sorry, Monty. Um, but even as I did that, you know, I went back to my housemates and I told them all about it and I made them all come to church. And by the time I got baptised, then we got baptised to the guy I played rugby with at uni uh, and another guy who just happened to hang around our house a lot because that just happens at university. But university is one of these times where there is, it's, it is the last great opportunity to really bring the gospel to people. I think statistically until retirement, But it's a time when people leave home. They leave what they're used to. And they come to to university to find and think for themselves. And as Monty said, it can be this scary time where we get fearful and we're worried about what are our kids going to do? What are our grandkids going to do? What are they going to hear? What might shape them? But it's also the time when they get to really question and get to see the Christian faith for what it is. And for so many people, it's this time where they get to come and own their faith. The first time they get to make a decision about, are they going to follow Jesus? There's other incredible opportunities in it. And um, if you get a chance to come and chat to Holly Tigley after, I'm sure she'd love it. Um, but she runs um, our uh, international student ministry project across Ireland. And we're talking about going to the nations, and it's incredible. And I love that. I'm not against that, just before Jason kicks me off stage. But we have this incredible opportunity with universities where the nations come to us. People come to study in a variety of universities across Northern Ireland and they come into the context that we're living in and we're able to reach them and engage them with the gospel before they go back to countries that, as has already been spoken about, we might not even have access to. But as they come here, they get to be exposed to the Christian faith and actually the university context allows them the time and the space to consider the gospel for themselves. And so not only is this a a place where we can consider what is it going to be for the students, potentially from Ireland, going elsewhere across the world. But also the nations coming to us, and what witness can we be to them?
0: Chris, thank you very much indeed. I uh, really appreciate that insight into what's happening here in Ireland. But it is not just a story about one corner of one part of God's world. Seventy-five years ago this year, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students was founded by student movements in 10 countries worldwide, with the vision of establishing a Christian witness in every university in the world. Today, we number hundreds of thousands of students and thousands of student groups in over 170 countries, one of the most international organizations in the world, I think, behind FIFA, and probably, and hopefully, a lot less corrupt. But CUI is one of those 170. IFES Europe has a presence in 42 countries, just increased to 43 now with the addition of Ukraine into our region. From Greenland to Cyprus, from Portugal to Estonia, students, witnessing to students, evangelism training, leadership training, postgraduate ministry, international student ministry, short term internships, where you can come from Northern Ireland as a graduate and go and serve in one of these 42 countries. Talk to me afterwards. We provide across Europe what Chris and his staff are doing in Ireland. We do so because we serve a God whose reach is global. And I get that from the beginning to the end of Scripture. It might surprise you, but I think one of the key texts as we look at God's heart for the nation is Genesis chapter 10. It's not about Noah, it's not about Abraham, it's not even about the Tower of Babel primarily. It is the big list of the nations the big list of the nations. Verses 1 and 2, this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons. The Japhethites, the sons of Ham in verse 6, the sons of Shem in verse 21. This chapter, chapter 10, might as well be an account of the flags that are draped around this sanctuary. Just naming them, known by God, even where there's a break, if you go home and read Genesis 10, because you may not have read it, uh, you can look at the break, maybe in the middle you get the occasional story of somebody like Nimrod, who it said was a mighty hunter before the Lord. This wasn't hunting, sheep and fishing. This guy was a tyrant. He hunted territories. He hunted kingdoms. He hunted people. And yet it was before the Lord. There was a limit to his reach. How important for the Israelites when they were in Nimrod's territory in Babylon as exiles to know that so long before even God knew about what tyrants like Nimrod and his descendants would do. They didn't have the last word. Putin doesn't have the last word. The tyrant doesn't have the last word. God has a different purpose for the nations. No other account in ancient literature gives valuable space to listing the names of other nations that aren't part of their story. But in the Bible, they're here. They're not the main story, but they are in the story. They're preparing us for something else. They're also a little out of place because we would expect them after the story of the Tower of Babel in chapter 11. That's when they were scattered. We would expect them to be listed then. But they are actually placed before that so that they're not under the curse of being scattered in chapter 11. They're under the blessing of chapter 9 and the covenant with Noah. The sons and daughters of Shem, of Ham, of Japheth, dispersed but under blessing. Diverse but divided. Diversity is good. It's enriching. We experience it all the time in IFES. But if we're divided, that is where there is isolation and separation and conflict and war. You can see on this slide, it's probably as comprehensible as the uh, financial figures earlier on, but don't try to memorize them. Just look at some of the names. As far as we can tell, the countries and their modern equivalents that are are part of of this chapter, that have been at war, that only live together in an uneasy peace in a world divided. But we know the rest of the story, don't we? We see the seeds of it two chapters later in Genesis 10, the covenant with Abraham, that through him all nations would be blessed. All of these guys, blessed. The father's heart in Micah 4, with the nations returning and beating their swords into plowshares. The son, Jesus' mission to the nations, reaching out to the Sarah woman, the Samaritan woman, the Roman centurion. In Luke chapter 10, sending out the 72, murdering the number of nations in Genesis 10 and prefacing the great sending out of Matthew 28 into all the world. Or Acts 1, that you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then, of course, Acts chapter 2, the Spirit is moving among the nations. The Father has a heart, the Son has a mission, the Spirit is moving Just look briefly at that next slide, because you will see there again, just look at the bold. On the day of Pentecost, and later in the missionary activity of Peter and Paul and Philip and others in Acts, we see how all the representatives of Genesis 10 are coming back and hearing the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How is it that we hear Him in our native language? Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Phrygians, Egyptians, Libyans, Cretans, Arabs hearing the resurrection message in their own language and in their own tongue. The scattering of Genesis 10 has been gathered. The curse of Babel has been reversed. The Spirit is speaking in all languages. And folks, it continues. If you look at the next slide, you will see again how the missionary activity of Acts reached Ethiopia with Philip, with Rome, with with, with Peter, Cyprus and Barnabas, Rhodes, Paul. Paul. The Scythians that are mentioned in in, in Genesis 10. What do we read in in Colossians? That in Christ there is uh, no circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. And friends, we are in this story. Since the resurrection of Jesus and the coming of the Spirit, when we confess Jesus as Lord, we are part of a different tribe, whether we're a descendant of Shem, Ham, or Japheth. Whether we are ruled from Westminster, Stormont, Dublin, Brussels, or Washington, we are citizens of heaven first and foremost, and we have a mandate to reach the nations and bring the wandering tribes home. My work of IFES is just a small corner of that among a specialist group of students. But they're the men and women who very often will lead the churches of the next generation, Some of the people that have been mentioned tonight in Slovenia and in other parts of the world are graduates of our IFES movement. It's always thrilling for me to hear how many of the folks have been through the IFES movement and learned to lead and get their missionary vision there. One of those 10 founding members in 1947 was China, one of our founding members. Two years later, the movement was shut down but we still have our people. There is a fledgling underground group, and we look forward to the day when we will welcome them back into our fellowship. It would not surprise me that some of them, Jeff, are reading your book. They're there. The nations are starting to come home. Students are there in the midst of what God is doing. Martin Luther famously said, win the university and you will win the nation. Those who are observing in the Middle East often ask, where are many young men and women radicalized to fundamentalist Islam? Students. Two Irish journalists wrote a book a few years ago about the seismic change in Irish culture and moral outlook, and it was called Ireland Says Yes. It was about the recent referenda on life issues and on marriage issues and they recount how there was a conscious and deliberate and very successful strategy on the part of those agitating for change. And their strategy was to begin by targeting the student unions and the student population because they said, if we get the hearts and minds of the students, we will win their parents, and we will win the vote. And that's what happened. So imagine the effect and influence of hundreds of students coming to know Christ and going into the workplace or leading churches or raising Christian households, transforming society and bringing the nations home. One of our leaders in the Middle East works in a university in a country very hostile to Christianity. He says that if some of his colleagues knew he was a Christian, he would likely be set up to be killed. He said his only ambition is to get a Christian student fellowship established there before that happens. In Nazareth, Russia, a Palestinian Christian, leads the student movement that comprises Palestinian Christians and Messianic Jews. They witness to the reconciling power of the gospel to their Hebrew and Arab friends. Recently, because of COVID, their evangelistic lectures in the university had to go online. But as a result, their message was broadcast to many of the surrounding countries in the Middle East. Friends, the sons and daughters of Shem are coming home. In 2015, terrorists from Somalia came south to the Kenyan city of Garissa. Knowing that all the Islamic students would be at prayer and anyone still on campus would be a Christian, they killed 148 of them, most of whom were at an IFES prayer meeting on campus. Four years after that atrocity, I had the joy of reading an application for financial help from the Christian Union in Garissa University, who wanted help for a program aimed specifically at building bridges and sharing their faith with their Muslim students. Last year, 5,000 Christian students gathered in Kenya for a missions conference. I was there a few months ago, and their numbers now are 50,000. Students testifying that dozens of their friends come to faith each year. Brothers and sisters, the sons and daughters of Ham are coming home. In IFES, we have seen recent growth in Anatolia, in various cities in Spain, in northern Italy, Romania, students from uh, coming to faith from every background. The leader of our Serbian movement and the leader of our Albanian movement are the best of friends. They have cultivated a friendship across the political divide for the sake of the gospel. They have lost friends as a result, Christians in their countries rejecting them because they have friends with the other side. They have shared speaking at national evangelistic events. They have seen students turning to Christ. When the war broke out in Ukraine, the first person to Zoom and to pray with the Ukrainian staff was one of our Russian leaders. The Ukrainian movement, one of our strongest, has been dispersed with staff and students having to leave, but now continuing their ministry and witnessing to refugee students in Poland and in Romania. And I'm reminded of the Scriptures, because of the persecution, the Word of the Lord spread even more powerfully. God's Word is not chained. In Belarus, some of our leaders have been tried in court. In order to hear whether or not what they were doing was anti-government, the entire courtroom had to listen to the full evangelistic address given at the event. And I'm thinking of Paul's words, because of me, the whole Praetorian Guard have heard the word of the Lord. The work continues. Some leaders from that country have gone to another Central Asian country in the midst of all this turmoil to plant a new student movement there. In the last few years, thousands of Europeans have heard the gospel at university missions, and many have responded to Christ. Friends, The sons and daughters of Japheth are coming home. Let us do whatever we can to reach the nations for him. Amen. We trust you've enjoyed
1: this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.